Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... So now more than ever, the Philippian church must take the initiative to work out the salvation that the Lord has given them. And so the idea of working it out here, this idea of work out, is a continuous. And so the idea for them and for us, for any, any follower of Jesus Christ, is a continuous, sustained, but I would say not burdensome effort. It's one of those things in the work of God, like you see with Jesus, he got tired from the work, but not tired of the work. The salvation moment in a Christian's life is and should be very special. However, today Pastor Jim states that the work of God in your life should not stop there. Your entire life should be a growth model of your heart becoming more like the heart of Jesus. Serving people in need and sacrificing time for those around you should be examples of God's Spirit inside you. And while serving the Lord in this life can be physically tiring, your changed heart will never grow tired of the impact you are making. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim with part one of his message entitled, Joyful Work. Well, today we're going to talk about a very, very important aspect of the Christian life. And if you don't know yet what we're going to talk about, if you don't understand it, you're probably in the dark in a lot of ways on living the Christian life. But if you want to get started, if you want to try to begin to understand it, if you want to uh, pursue it, a whole new world can open up to you in just a few brief moments this morning. For the benefit of the recording, I want to read the verses one more time to you. Philippians 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Well, the name of this morning or the title of this morning's sermon is Joyful Work. Joyful Work. And here we have one of the greatest and most important what we call tensions in the entirety of the Word of God. Now, even the word tension can be misleading if we don't think of it properly. Uh, Sometimes you'll hear people say there's a tension in their marriage. And what does that mean? That means that the husband and wife are at complete disagreement. They can't see eye to eye. And sometimes we talk about maybe tensions in the Middle East and people who are seemingly against one another. But when we talk about tensions in the Bible, that's not what we're talking about. When we talk about biblical tensions, we're talking about things that seem opposite, but actually are not. They seem opposite, but somehow God is bringing them together in our thinking. And so this tension we're going to talk about this morning is a very, very common question that a pastor gets, and it has to do with what's God's part and what's my part? I'm not so sure that anybody's really able to answer that question, to be honest with you, except in general terms, which we'll have to do this morning, because it really goes into the realm of of the unseen. More specifically, 
And before you call me a heretic, you have to hear me out a little bit more on this. But what's God's part and what's my part in my salvation? Now, the reason I say don't call me a heretic, I'll talk to you about it in a second, how a lot of Americans, we use the term salvation a little bit differently than it's used in the Bible, and that's why you were all ready to call out to Calvary Chapel corporate and and tattletale on me, okay? When we talk about salvation, I'm not talking about some moment in time when you become a Christian. I'm talking about uh, the Christian life as you may know it, okay? Most American Christians use the term salvation to speak of an event of faith that saves a sinner from the righteous judgment of God and a moment when they receive salvation, they receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Now, that's how most people in America, probably in the West, define salvation but it's not necessarily the way the Bible defines salvation. That's part of it. We'll talk about that in a bit. But when the Bible uses the term salvation, it uses it in a much broader term. It would say that someone who is a Christian has been saved at times in the Bible. At other times, it says that people are being saved. And other times in the Bible, it says that they will be saved. So salvation in the Bible is, if you will, it's the total package of being free from the penalty of sin when you initially come to trust in Jesus Christ. You're no longer under the penalty of sin. It also has to do with being free from the power of sin because the Holy Spirit comes to live with inside of anyone who would trust in Jesus Christ. Sin no longer has a power over us. And then ultimately, because someone who's trusted in Jesus Christ is going to heaven, they are free from the presence of sin salvation, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, the whole, you know, kit and caboodle, if you will, heaven, is offered to all. It's offered to anybody who would turn to God, who would be willing to say, God, my back has been to you, but I'm going to turn to you and I'm going to put my trust in your son instead of trusting in myself. So, Salvation, though it's offered to all, is only applied to those who will put their trust in Jesus Christ. Theologians sometimes put it this way, the cross of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all, all can come, but it is only efficient or effective for some, for those who come to Jesus Christ. But the experience of that, which we call salvation in the Bible, as we just said, is both future for you if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ. If you have, it's past, present, and future. Yet here in Philippians chapter 12, verse 2, verses 12 and 13, verse 12 seems to say you have to do it. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yet verse 13 seems to say God does it because he says, for God works in you. So this is something that we have to sort out. So here in this letter, the Apostle Paul is in jail. He's the Apostle of Joy, even though he's in jail. And he's writing to a church that he founded in northern Greece in Philippi. And this is a good church. Not a lot of problems in this church, just some problems. But this is a good church. It appears there's a unity problem. 
which could mean vicious fighting in the church. Some of you, uh, ever grew up, some people grew up in those churches like that. I hear those stories, I'm like, ew. But, um, but, but so you could have you know, a unity problem or it could just be an apathy problem where they're not working together anymore that they once were and that is hindering the gospel, the telling of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ from going forward, but it's also hindering the growth of the people in the church. So we need to be united as a church. We need to be growing together. We need to be sharing with other people, inviting people in to, if you will, the kingdom of God, not worrying about all these other little things that can occupy our time. And so the fact of the matter is, a church must work together to achieve the goals of the kingdom of God. If we're not in our Bibles, figuring out what are the goals of the kingdom of God, if we're not working together to achieve those goals, we're never going to uh, get there. I like to think of it this way. We must get along to get along. We must get along with each other to get along with the work of the kingdom of God, the work of spreading the good news to people who have yet to hear. So it's interesting when you study the Bible, if you've been around the church for a long time, Americans, we tend to read the Bible as just for ourselves, but there's such a community aspect to the Bible, so we have to hold them in tension. They're not opposites. They seem like they're opposites, uh, but we have to bring them together. So when we think about getting along, when we think about following God, we have to realize there's going to be an individual and a personal effort that's required by everyone, but corporately, as a church, we have to think these things through. Now, if you're with us for the last two weeks, we've gone into some very, very deep theology. We step out to maybe less deep, although some people might be a little lost today. I hope that's not the case. I'll try to keep it as simple as I can, but there's a lot of theological terms that we have to throw out today. But the theology of is, how is God involved in an individual living the Christian life, how is God involved in a church living out the Christian life? That's simple, but there's a lot of front-end work that the Bible often does presents the theology of things. The st- theology is simply the study of God and then how we are to respond getting the information that we have and how we are to live our lives in relation to what God has done for us and for what God has revealed to us. That's why when someone sees that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them and they put their trust in him, they are never the same. Never the same. Do they still struggle with a lot of the same stuff they always did? Yes, but it's a struggle now. They care that they're struggling. God may be slowly changing those things, but they're never the same because they have seen. And this is what the Bible does. It portrays the picture for us and then says, now this is the direction, little ones, loved ones. Picture God going, come on, kitties. Let's go, hold my hand. We're gonna go, we're gonna go. And this is the direction we go because what God has done for us. Now, this whole section, we've been saying that Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, really steers the ship of this section. So let's go back one page and look at that. He says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, whether I stay in jail, whether Caesar cuts my head off, or whether I get out of jail and I come to you, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So he's been talking 
talking about this unity and giving us all kinds of ins and outs and different reasons and different things to look at. Now look at verse 28. This is very important for our purposes this morning. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, the people that are against you, which is to them a proof of perdition. They're against the gospel, which means they're not going to heaven. But to you of salvation, that you are going to heaven. And look where he says, and that from God. So where does salvation come from? From God. It's not a trick question. It's right there. It comes from God. Now let's go to chapter 2. Look at verse 4. We've covered these already. If you're with us, if not, I just want to help us ease into this section here. He says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So it's assumed we're going to look out for ourselves. We have to look out for ourselves or we'll be dependent on, you don't want to be the church to be dependent on you if you're able to, to watch out for yourself, okay? So he says we, it's assumed we'll look out for ourselves, but also to look out for the interests of others. And then verse five, what was the motivation for that? Let this mind, remember we said that we can't do the things that Jesus did but we can think the way Jesus thought. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then we went into that magnificent passage of the humility of God, the Son of God, coming from heaven, God becoming a man Christmas morning, okay, and walking the earth as a humble carpenter known as Jesus of Nazareth. Even such humility after living a perfect life, dying on the cross in our place for our sins, and then God exalted him, brought him up to heaven, gave him the name of Lord. So, just as the Philippian church has to work together, the apostle Paul, and he's, he used the example of Jesus, he now gives them, if you're taking notes, number one, an exaltation to joyful work. If you will, this is an urgent plea to get about the work of God. Look at verse 12. Therefore, now Bible students, whenever you see the word therefore, you always ask yourself, what's it therefore? connects it back to what we have already learned about Jesus' humility and then God raising him up. So it gives us the application, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, remember we said this is a good church. This is not a basket cake church like the church in Corinth. This is a good church, but the Lord wants more. The Lord wants more for the church in Northwest New Jersey, Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills. The Lord wants more more for the church in Philippi. The Lord wants more for the people who live in our surrounding communities. He doesn't want complacency. It's very easy to become complacent. It's very easy to make everything that we do be about the people who go here. And that's important. It's important. So you're like, well, you know, my friend's having a sleepover with his friend next Saturday night. You know, can I bring him to the kid's pool party? Well, yes, if he's eight, not if he's 80, but eight, yeah, okay? We can become very self-focused. Now, it doesn't mean I don't think you're a kid if you're 80. Please, don't get me the wrong way on that one. But we can be very self-focused. We can gear everything towards the people in the church, and we forget the mission of God for the people outside the church. For people outside the church, the mission is what? To tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. For the people inside the church, what's, what's the mission? Is to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he doesn't want complacency, nor does he want nostalgia. 
nor does he want nostalgia. Sometimes there's people in our church, and I love, there's a lot of people that are still here from when we originally started in, in a little hotel room. It's great. There's a lot of people here from the first year of the church. It's great. They say everybody's going to leave after five years. That has not been our experience. It's really a wonderful thing, but we can't live in that nostalgia. I came from a church that sat 700 people, and, and they lived in the day when there was a line to get into the church. When I got there, there was 300 people. And now they have about 30 people going there. Because what? Nostalgia. He doesn't want nostalgia. The Lord doesn't want nostalgia. He wants new growth. He wants new Christians. He wants wants new maturity. So he says, therefore, again, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now notice this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So the apostle here is telling the Philippian church, by extension, any church, any Christian that would read this letter, just as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was a humble, obedient servant of God, we should be too. That's a mark, okay, of a true Christian, is that someone who is a true Christian works out their salvation, not works for their salvation, we'll talk about that in a second, but works it out. Their faith works. That's how you can tell a true Christian. Now, 10 years earlier, the Apostle Paul went to Philippi, and that's how the church got started. Acts chapter 16, you can read it on your own time. And he called the people to believe. He was just out there just talking, and he called them to believe. He called people to put their trust in Jesus Christ, and they obeyed. They did what God said. The call is God's call. He just uses people to make the call. They obeyed, and they were what we call saved. Okay, saved from the judgment of God. They have received the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, which we talked about before, and the church was founded. But now the Apostle Paul is gone. He's gone. He's not around anymore. We have his letters, but he's gone. Jesus is not around anymore. We have the Spirit of God, but he's not here. Okay, so the call now is for the people in the church to obey the word of God, to work out what God has already worked in, to express their faith together as a church and individually as Christians. So it would appear to some people that it's a tension, but it's not. It's not, it's not your faith or the church. That, that's so westernized and so Americanized. People go like, well, I don't need to be part of a church to be a Christian. And I'm like, that's fine as long as it's not Jesus you're talking about. Because people say, well, church is full of messed up people. Amen and amen, right? (laughs) Yep, and that's part of what we need to be a part of because we're part of the messed up people. Maybe not you, I am, obviously, okay? And so we're part of that because that is how God molds us. We'll talk about being sanctified into the image of Christ. So it's it's not your faith or the church, it's your faith and the church. Philippians 1, 6 very popular verse, the apostle wrote this, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, remember we said that it was both an individual work and a corporate work among the church, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. All of this introduces us into what we sometimes call the paradox of grace. They seem like they're opposite, but they're not at all is that since God is at work, so are his people. 
And one of the ways that we know that God is at work is that his people are at work because he who began a good work in us, which is the Holy Spirit coming to reside in a believer when they put their trust in Jesus, he is faithful to complete it. So he is doing the work, yet, if you will, we have to put legs on it, the work that is part of this life that we call the salvation life. So I love what Pastor Paul, to them, you know, they knew he was the Apostle Paul, but he was also their pastor. He founded the church. I love what he's saying here in chapter one and two. What is he saying? I don't need to be with you for the work of the Lord to continue. Sometimes as the pastor of this church, I can't stand when I show up at a place. Some of you are like, we can't stand when you show up at this place either. Why? Because I can see from afar how the God's people are fast at work. I mean, they're just getting it done, particularly on our outreaches, I see this. And then I walk up and they go, what do you want us to do? I'm like, I want you to just keep doing what you're doing. It's great because I can see that God's at work because his people are at work. We have the word of God. We have the Holy Spirit. And God says, listen, that's enough. We can do this work. And so now more than ever, the Philippian church must take the initiative to work out the salvation that the Lord has given them. And so the idea of working it out here, this idea of work out, is it continuous? And so the idea for them and for us, for any, any follower of Jesus Christ, is a continuous, sustained, but I would say not burdensome effort. It's one of those things in the work of God, like you see with Jesus, he got tired from the work, but not tired of the work. Big difference. But it takes effort. God is looking for his people to be active in the activity of working out the salvation that he has already put in us. Now, before you say, I can't do that in the Christian life, we haven't gotten to verse 13 yet. And before you say, oh, I can definitely do that, no problem. We haven't gotten to verse 13 yet because we have to hold our inability to do it and our ability to do it, again, in very tight tension. We start by admitting that we all need God's grace to do God's work. And we need more grace because how easy is it for us to say something and not do it? You picture yourself doing these things for God, right? And then, you know, I'm, oh, I'm going to get up Saturday morning and I'm going to do this. And you're like, oh, man, you know, you hit the Jesus snooze button on your alarm and it's, it's, just, it's just, just too tiring. Or, you know, this is vacation time of the year. A lot of people are saying, you know, I got four books I'm going to bring on vacation and you know, that's what I, I'm going I'm to read them. And they're just in the way. You don't even open them when you're on vacation. And that, that it's because it's easy to think the stuff and, and not do it. So we have to admit that we need help. And this is the part of salvation that we call sanctification. It's, it's part of it. And it is to be sanctified is to be set apart. And it is the process where God makes his people more like Jesus. And so we are to work that out with fear and trembling. Does that sound like a half-hearted effort? No, not at all. It's a whole-hearted effort. Because what might seem contradictory is not, is there is both a human and divine activity in the total work of salvation. Now, before again, you want to just, you know, start writing letters and emails and paint me as a heretic, I think that part of the issue when we have in talking about this stuff, this is why a lot of people are confused with passages like this, 
is because we don't exactly have our terms right. And I'll call your attention to Romans chapter 4. In the eyes of the Jewish people, Abraham was the dude. He was the most righteous guy. Now, for me personally, I'm kind of more of a Moses fan myself, but that's another story for another day because I, like, I can't believe what this guy Moses did. But anyway, a- Abraham was the righteous guy. And so in the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 4 is laying out for the people of God that not even Abraham is righteous before God. So we're supposed to go, if he wasn't righteous, then I'm not righteous. So when the Bible says, none are righteous, no, not one, and includes Abraham, that would include me too. Well, that concludes the teaching portion of today's broadcast of Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Moores Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Join us next time as Pastor Jim continues teaching through the book of Philippians. You can learn more about Changed by Love and Pastor Jim by visiting our website. The web address is changedbyloveradio.com. Again, the web address is www.changedbyloveradio.com. Changed by Love exists because of the generous donations of our listeners, and we would like to ask all of our listeners who have never written us to preferably consider writing us today and let us know that you are listening to the broadcast. In fact, many of your letters are read to our congregation to encourage them in this ministry. You can write to us at Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that's Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. You can also give us a call for more information, request resources, or for prayer at 973-659-3380. Once again, that's 973-659-3380. You can also send us an email to info at changedbyloveradio.com. If you are in the Morris County, New Jersey area, we would love to have you visit us. We are located in the center of Morris County on Route 15 South. That's all for today. Until next time, God bless you, and our prayer is that you too would be changed by love.